everybody, Bob Olson here with Afterlife TV. This is where I talk about the big questions you have concerning life and death. You can find this and every episode at afterlifetv.com. Thank you so much for joining me today on Afterlife TV. You can find us at afterlifetv.com, as I mentioned. It's early June of 2020. And today I'm going to be talking about something that's really interesting, I think, certainly regarding the times in which we're living, but I think this applies to lots of different areas of our life. I saw, I read an article about a man who did not have any symptoms and did not know that he had the virus, but he ended up infecting his father, elderly father, and his father died. That was shocking in its own way. And then I thought about it, it sort of stuck with me for a while. And I had great compassion for this man because certainly he did not want that to happen. Whether he was being careful or whether he was not being careful it really isn't of matter at this point. What happened happened and he can only look in hindsight and I'm sure he feels all sorts of troubling emotions because of what happened. He's dealing with grief and he's dealing with feeling responsible for his father's passing. That's the subject of today's show. I just want to bring up our sponsor first, Best Psychic Directory. This is my site. You can go to bestpsychicdirectory.com. You'll find many, many psychics and mediums there. We also have tarot readers and animal communicators and energy healers. You know, we have people who are intuitive astrologers and intuitive coaches, lots of different specialties. And you will find them all on this directory of mine that where I have vetted each and every person that has been on there. And what's interesting is I have so many people who follow Afterlife TV that have said, I, I wish my loved one in spirit would come to me in my dreams. You know, I, I, I don't even know if they're around. I have not heard from them. I wish that they would send me a sign or a signal to let me know that they're there. But I haven't seen any signs or signals. And so I'm worried about them. I want to know that they're there. And what I find interesting about these comments is that there are hundreds of very gifted, legitimate people who are what we call mediums. And they communicate with people in spirit. And any one of us can go to them. You might say, oh, some of them are very expensive. Yeah, yeah, some of them are very expensive, but they're not all very expensive. They're very reasonably, reasonably priced ones. And in fact, on bestpsychicdirectory.com, you can get an instant reading. And you can just pay by the minute. And that sounds like a lot if you were to get an, a one-hour reading, but most people don't. They, people who get the instant readings get 10, 15, 20-minute readings. And so it really doesn't add up to that much money, and you're able to still get a reading. And if all you're looking for is acknowledgement that your loved one in spirit exists, that they're okay, that they're around you, that you will see them again when it's your time to go home, go see a medium. That's what happened with me after the passing of my father in 1997. And so for 23 years now, I've been doing this work because of that. And the first evidence that I found was with 
mediums. So anyways, that's my encouragement for the day in my way of saying thanks to our sponsor, bestpsychicdirectory.com. Back to the subject of today's show. So I read this article, a man infected his father with the virus and his father died. Wow. The first thing that comes to mind for me is, you know, that makes me think we need to continue being cautious, especially around people who are more at risk during these challenging times. I know that so many of us, myself included, feel like we have this impulse to go, enough is enough. I can't take it anymore. But that's part of the challenge, isn't it? Nobody wants to be that guy in the article who feels responsible for another person's death. And so we wear our masks and we wash our hands and we don't touch our mouths or our eyes or our nose and we be careful. You know, let me just say about the mask thing. You know, I know there's this big, almost a fight between people. Like, uh, I'm wearing a mask. You're not wearing a mask. Everybody's on either side of it. Let me just say this for the people who wear masks. So many people are wearing masks so that they don't infect others. And I'm not sure everybody thinks of it that way. I think a lot of people think, I don't need a mask. I'm okay. And I'm willing to take the risk. But that's not really what it's about, right? This article about this poor guy who infected his father and his father died, that's why we wear the mask. So that we, in case we're walking around with the virus and we don't know it because we personally did not get any symptoms, we're not going around infecting other people. That's what it's all about. That's what the masks are about or the gloves or the washing of the hands, all of it. And so I find the first, after I read this article, the first thing I think about is great inspiration for us to continue being cautious even when we're feeling like, oh, I can't take it anymore. So go ahead, go out, get out of the house, do what you need to do, but be cautious about it, and both for your sake and out of respect for others' safety. Okay, but this show is about the afterlife, and that's what we're going to be talking about. So here's the interesting thing. For, the, for those of you who've already found yourself in this situation, or maybe you're not sure, if maybe you infected others. Maybe that's the situation you find yourself in, so you're not sure, but you're wondering, maybe it's possible that you gave it to them. Well, this show is for you as well, because that's always going to be in the back of your mind. Here's what I have to say. In my 20 plus years of investigating the afterlife, it's been 23 years since my father died, which his death was the catalyst that led me to do what I do today. The evidence that I found in my investigation and the experiences that I had that taught me about life after death have helped me to draw conclusions about life after death. Let's just call them my belief, because I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm trying to give you a new perspective. That's all that the show is ever about. And so let's just say, I believe that human beings die when they are meant to die. Now, I don't believe that there's an exact moment or even an exact cause of death that's predetermined, but rather, I believe when it's our time to return to our true home, the spirit world, some call it heaven, I believe 
that there's a higher power. You might call it infinite intelligence, the universe, our creator, God. Some people even just like to think of spirit guides. They're like, I have spirit guides or a spirit guide that's, that's sort of controlling all of this, sort of a, a go-between between you and God. But when it's our time to return home to the spirit world, this intelligence looks for an opportunity to bring us back home. Okay, it's time for them to return. How are we going to make that happen? That's when they decide on the cause of death. It's not a pre-birth planning thing. It doesn't happen at the time of your birth or before it. Basically, this decision is made near the time of your death, possibly even minutes before. Now, I've done extensive research on this particular subject for myself, basically. When I do research, I do it for myself. I know so many people think I just do it to share it with others. I usually do everything for myself first because I'm curious, and then I share what I learn with others because I figure if I'm interested, somebody else has got to be too, right? And I know you are, or you wouldn't be listening to the show. So the reason that I did this research for myself was because I struggled with the idea that children die. I was trying to wrap my mind around why children die, why they're taken so young. I talked in earlier shows, a fairly recent one, about my cousin Matthew, who died at the age of five, and how I saw his body in the hospital after he'd been pronounced dead, uh, after he was hit by a car. And I believe that it's certainly one experience that inspired me to think about this subject and to think about this particular niche more maybe than some other subjects. And of course, when I'm talking about why children die so young or why children die, period, I'm talking about, you know, either very young children to you know, people in their 20s or even their early 30s, you know, to me, now they're kids too, right? The older we get, wow, uh, the, the concept of children just really expands, but so does old age. <laughs> I'm 57 now and I'm like, oh, I'm just middle age. <laughs> Whereas when I was uh, 15 or 25, I would have gone 57, that guy's old. <laughs> but now I'm thinking children, children, all sorts of ages, but they're still children. They have a lot of life in front of them. That bothers me, always did bother me. I know it bothers you too. My research led me to believe that these young people who die were never meant to live a full life. It just wasn't in the plan. So did Matthew's soul know his human body would be hit by a car? No, I don't believe that. I believe that his soul, his spirit guides, God knew it was his time to come home. And getting hit by a car was merely an opportunity to make that happen. But then it goes a little further than that, because it wasn't just an opportunity to bring Matthew home, but it's also an opportunity to pro provide a really, really challenging experience for other people, such as his parents, family members, friends, even the driver of that car that hit him and all the family members and friends of that driver. Creative intelligence choices can affect many people 
in many ways. So, in the case of this guy's father, from the article that I read, it's his time to go home, right? Creative intelligence says, it's a pandemic. That makes my job easy. Let's bring him home that way. But wait, is there some way that we can do this that will also help one of the human beings around this man so that they can learn and grow from his death? Well, heck yeah, his son's soul has been seeking more growth. Let's infect the father through the son and make it so obvious that the son gave it to him that he'll struggle with the knowledge that he is how his father got sick in the first place. And wow, that's a powerful lesson. That definitely will build character in this human being. Now, one of the things that you may be thinking is, boy, oh boy, you make these spirit guides and God and all these other words that you're using, like creator and the universe, seem very unattached seem almost without compassion. So let me just say, I I talk about this in my book, and um, let me just read this from my book, and I, I think you'll find it interesting, at least when you ask that question of how can they be so detached from this outcome? Here's what I wrote in response to the question. This is very early in the book, page 15. What is the purpose of life from the soul's perspective? Before I answer all the upcoming questions about death and life after death, I'd like to take a moment to discuss life. This one question and answer is going to give you a new perspective that should help you better understand all the upcoming answers in the book. So many people ask about the meaning or purpose of life. While it took me years of investigation and experience in this field to understand it, the answer is that the meaning or purpose of life is just to have experiences. It's really just that simple. Life is about having experiences. And to take this one step further, life is about having experiences that our souls are unable to have in the spiritual realm. As souls who exist eternally in the spirit world, some call heaven, which is always free from fear, suffering, and death, we choose a physical life as humans to know the experience of living in a domain where mortality is imminent. When a being knows it can die, it changes everything. It creates fear and alters choices. When death is a potential occurrence, we think, say, and do things differently. We act out of survival. Even the possibility of illness or injury or pain leads one to choose differently than if the person were immortal and invincible. And this is why living a human life is such an intriguing challenge for our souls. It's not an easy challenge. It's not even necessarily fun. It simply creates a new paradigm from which to have new experiences, experiences our souls are unable to duplicate in the spiritual realm. I make this point early in the book for one important reason. So many folks believe that something has gone wrong in life when they meet challenges disappointment, tragedy, suffering, loss, and pain. But life is about experiences, both positive and negative. Nobody promised us that we'd only have positive experiences. We learn just as much, if not more, from our challenging experiences as humans. And whether we want to accept it or not, this is what we signed up for as souls when we chose to have a physical life. 
This doesn't mean that negative experiences are necessary or even unavoidable. There are many ways to increase our awareness, live in the present moment, and choose our responses to our experiences such that life leans toward the positive. But no one lives a life completely free of negativity, otherwise known as challenges that we might prefer to avoid. If you can accept that life is about experiences rather than about being happy and easygoing all the time, then the answers in this book will digest easier. Yet even if you have some resistance to this idea, don't give up right away because you will better understand what this really means as you continue reading. And by the the time you finish reading this book, you will not only comprehend this life is about experiences concept better, but you'll recognize why it will provide you with a greater sense of inner peace than the belief and expectation that life should only be about happy and positive experiences. So I read that because the reason that God and our spirit guides and our souls can be and seem, by, by the way that I describe them, so detached is not because they don't have compassion for us because they have great compassion for us. They have more compassion than any human being is possibly able to have or fathom. But to them, a human life, even a human life that lasts over 100 years, lasts a few seconds to them. In their world where time doesn't exist, a human lifetime is what you hear often in this field simply a blink of an eye. And because of that, and because they recognize what I just said about life is about experiences, both positive and negative. And as we all know, we tend to grow more from the negative ones than from the positive ones. We learn from them more, no pain, no gain kind of thing. Because of that, when we have difficult challenges like this man in the article who infected his father, who died, the way they're perceiving it is the same way that a parent would perceive a child that came up to them and the head of their doll just fell off. Little Joey has his G.I. Joe and the head just fell off and he's very upset. He's crying and you know his whole world has fallen apart as far as he's concerned. But the parents recognize that he's going to be okay. (laughs) They recognize that this is a small blip in the course of this child's lifetime. Even this child's childhood, this child is going to probably be over it pretty quickly. And from the perspective of our souls or the spiritual realm, anybody in the spiritual realm, from their perspective, they're able to recognize that even this man's challenge of having to wrap his mind around the idea that he gave his father the virus and he died, or the girl who was driving and hit my cousin Matthew, from their perspective, are able to say, they're going to be okay. They're going to be back here in the spirit world before you know it, in the blink of an eye, and they're going to have learned and grown from that experience, as horrible and negative as it was. That's going to be something that stays with them for all eternity. Not the horror of it, but the lessons that they gained from it. All right, so I just think it's important that I talk about that. I'm going to touch upon it again in a moment, but I hope that makes sense to you. 
All right. So let's step back for a moment and contemplate the words that I said at the end there. I said that will definitely build character in this human being. I use that word build character for a particular reason. What it reminds me of is writing fiction. It just reminds me of the process of writing a story. It doesn't matter if it's a novel or a movie script or a short story. There's a parallel to writing story with what I'm discussing here. And the reason I bring it up is because it removes the emotion from this very difficult subject that we're talking about, right? And I think it helps sometimes to learn things and think them through clearly when we can remove our emotional response to the subject that we're talking about. So here's a little inside peek into the process of writing story. And it's this, whenever a writer writes fiction, the writer doesn't just create conflict in order to create mystery or the thriller effect. It's just as important, if not more important, that the writer creates conflict, which is when something bad happens to the main character, in order to see in action how the main character responds. Actions, especially when in response to something, reveal who the character is at their core. We all know this in real life. We have a friend who portrays the image that he's a kind person, right? But then we go to a restaurant with him and he treats the waiter like crap because the waiter gave him French fries instead of mashed potatoes. Aha, right? That action, that response to the waiter's error just revealed our friend's true character. Actions speak louder than words. But there's more to this story writing process. When, a, when writing a story, we want to see what's called a character arc. A character arc, A-R-C, is simply the change we see in the main character's character. <laughs> I know I have to use that word in two ways, right? But a character arc is the change we see in the main character's character at the end of the movie compared to his character at the beginning of the movie. So let's take Scrooge, this Christmas story, right? Scrooge was a bitter, excessively frugal, <laughs> I'm being kind here, and a mean guy at the beginning. But at the end, he was joyful, he was generous, and he was a kind man. So his character arc went in this transformation from jerk to jolly. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? All right. So that's what life is all about too. It's about your car character arc over time. Now, not everybody goes from mean to nice. Some people do the opposite, sadly. But let me clarify my point here. As spiritual beings in the spirit world, heaven, our existence is perfect. Everything and everybody is filled with love, joy, compassion, and peace. And because of this, we as spiritual beings experience a human life to experience what we are not able to know in the spiritual dimension. Yes, as humans, we come to know love and joy and peace, but only in the face of mortality, adversity, suffering, and loss. In other words, if we know love, joy, and peace, we know them in the midst of fear, sadness, hatred, loneliness, even illness. And because we learn and grow personally and spiritually from living among these negative experiences and events, they reveal 
a true character. William Shakespeare said it best when he wrote in As You Like It, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances and one man in his time plays many parts. I talked in a recent episode about how we come to appreciate and know mental states like love, kindness, and compassion by experiencing the opposite. I said, to truly know and appreciate love, we must know fear. To truly know and appreciate kindness, we must know hatred. To truly know and appreciate compassion, we must know selfishness. And so it goes with health and sickness, companionship and loneliness, wealth and poverty. The list is never ending, right? So there's <laughs> an easy one. We never really appreciate a thumb until we smash it with a hammer and we can't use it for a week. That's the concept. So what evidence do we have that anything that I'm saying here is true? And again, I'm not trying to convince you, as I said, so let's just call it my belief. But it's based on 23 years of evidence about life after death. And it's that evidence and the experiences that I had, as I mentioned, that have led me to have these beliefs, to draw these conclusions. One of the things that I have seen a lot of is something that's called precognitive knowing. It's like a premonition before someone passes that they were going to die. Sometimes it's something that someone said or something that they wrote, something that they did, even something that they drew. You might remember one excellent example of this in my interview with Scarlett Lewis. Scarlett Lewis lost her son due to a school shooting. And her six-year-old son named Jesse actually left her some signs when she thought about it in hindsight that, hmm, maybe there was a part of him, you might call it his soul self, that knew he was going to perish in this shooting. The signs certainly indicate that, but it goes even further than this. In fact, there was some precognitive knowing on Scarlett's behalf. There were things that she did that seemed to be preparing her for this. I'm going to play a clip from that interview where you can hear the details of what I'm talking about for yourself. Here we go. You were going through a period yourself, again, I, you know, precognitive knowing, I don't know, but you were taking the extra time to be with your children and do, do things in spite of the fact that you might be late for work, that sort of a thing, and you just knew, you know what, I need to spend this time with them. Uh, tell us about that. T tell us, you know, maybe a couple of things that you had done, and I also want to know where do you think that came from? I know it's it's weird. Well, you know, Jesse was born, and um, I I said a prayer the first day that he was born, and I said, uh, "Dear Jesus, um, I know that he is a gift. I know that you can take him from me, but please don't." And it was like, I think I cocked my head aside and was like, "Hmm, okay." But I prayed that with Jesse every single night, and I pray for JT as well, but not that prayer. But I never really questioned it. And so after Jesse was born, um, he, his dad and I uh, uh, split up. 
right after he was born. And I, and I kind of went through this period in my life where um, I, I really had to become stronger. I had to become more independent. And um, I actually hired a personal empowerment coach right after Jesse was born. And uh, she still works with me um, uh, in the foundation. But I made some huge changes in my life. Uh, I became more aware. I became more conscious. I became more mindful. And so, um, you know, and, and more grateful about things in my life. And uh, I just, I really, you know, it was just the boys and I. And I just, uh, that never bothered me. I just wanted to be with them and, and have fun and focus on them. And, uh, and gosh, I'm, I'm so glad that I did. But I do think that, you know, looking back, then I can say, wow, where did that prayer come from? Yeah. Um, I think that it had to come from a, a spiritual awareness, a, a, a precognitive knowing on my behalf that something was coming. I, I look at the way I led my life uh, with the boys during Jesse's life. It was like, you know, I, I went to work, I supported my household, but every time I was with the boys, it was like, what can we do? Let's just have a great time. We're, let's just, you know, and uh, my mom would joke because she would call me at like eight o'clock on a Saturday morning and she'd say, where are you guys headed to now? And I'd say, well, we're going to a museum uh, to see, you know, like a, 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 a Beagle mom is nursing fox puppies in some museum two hours away. And then on the way back, we're going to go play laser tag. And then we're going to go to a movie. Then we're going to go out to day. It was like, I packed my days. You know? <laughs> and then, and that was, that was, even at night, we would just be having fun. We might go to a movie on a weeknight. Or JT and I would go skiing on a weeknight. And I remember thinking after Jesse died, I remember sitting on the couch, not wanting to do anything, not wanting to Need, having a, this inner feeling or this drive or this passion to be somewhere, to be having fun, to be doing. It was like the first time in six years that I was able to sit and be still and calm and not have this inner drive to do something. And I thought, wow, um, thank God I had that yeah. Uh, yeah. because we really lived those six years very fully. Um, but I also, you know, wondered as well where that came from and it had to be a spiritual awareness and knowing that I had to pack a lot into those six years and I did and, and that's not uncommon even with people who say die in their 20s or 30s I hear of those people being very driven to pack a lot of life into mm -hmm. those short amount of years uh, you know it certainly gives you the impression that there's um, there's something that's that's driving us that's pushing us um, to do these things. And, uh, and, and, and for me, I find that comforting. I find that comforting because it, uh, it makes me think this was all part of the plan. This, you know, this is no accident. And absolutely. Yeah. And now one of the, other, since we're on this subject, I, I, because I think, I think it's fascinating. You also wrote a children's book before Jesse's passing. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, I wrote a book called Roses Full. And uh, this was right after, this was about a year after JT was born. Um, the day after 9-11, uh, JT's father was working in New York. And, and uh, so I was just so devastated, obviously, as everyone was. And I was looking at the TV at this horrific scene of burning buildings and destruction and terror. And then I'd walk outside of my farm 
And we had just had a newborn foal the day before, and it was just this beautiful pastoral scene. And I just thought, I, I need to do something about this. And at the same time, um, we don't have a TV. So I read, I read to the boys every night. And uh, all these books that I was reading to JT, they, they just weren't, they weren't enough to nourish his brain, I thought. And so I thought, you know what, I think I can do better than this. So I wrote a book about the foal that was born on the farm and a mother's love for her child. And I included the five most important lessons that I think that a mother can pass on to her son uh, in particular. And, um, and the last lesson was that a mother and foal, a mother and son, might not always live on the same farm, but their love will transcend distance and time forever and always. And then uh, I, I ended the book, you know, a traditional book is, ends with the end. And, um, you know, it's, it, love never ends. So I couldn't really say it's never the end because there is no end. So I ended it, love never ends. And so um, I was surprised to find that in December of 2012, um, the book was flying off the shelves. And it was because, uh, and people usually, and this is usually, people see the synchronicities before I do. But um, they, they said, oh my God, you had, you had an awareness that this was going to happen. This was your last lesson, you know, that, uh, that you wouldn't be on the same farm. You know, and, and of course, when I was writing it, I really thought about uh, college. Boys <laughs> <laughs> were going to leave for that, not death. But, yeah. you know, it, it, it also it, uh, speaks to death as well. Well, yeah, who knew? And I mean, I got chills a couple of times <laughs> while you were telling that story. Uh, and I had already read about it, which is, but it's just, it's that kind of a story, especially when you think of it in hindsight that you wrote this before. Um, before the shooting, uh, I, the next thing I, I'd love for you to just uh, tell us about the story of the morning of uh, the shooting. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, right. So, so uh, the morning um, actually it was actually this was Thursday morning because Jesse was with his father every other Thursday. So this was Thursday morning, and the shooting would happen the following day. Normal morning, obviously, getting up, rushing around, getting two boys off to school. JT had left, and then Jesse had our morning together. And I'm walking him out to meet his father, who's picking him up uh, in the driveway. And um, we had this conversation about how we were going to meet at Jesse's uh, classroom the following day to build gingerbread houses. And uh, I turned around to give Jesse... Uh, a hug and kiss goodbye and I saw that he had written on the side of my car with his little fingernail in the frost I love you and he had drawn little hearts on all my windows I have a picture of it here amazing and yeah so on the windows we can see oh yeah yeah we can see it and in the book people can see that more clearly um, but there he is thank God for that was your cell phone I assume you took that picture with I didn't have it with me, but I looked at that and I just thought, this is one of those moments, you know, being mindfully aware, this is, this is a moment that you cherish. And I, I said, don't go anywhere, just stay right here. I ran in, I got my cell phone, uh, I, I came back out, I positioned him in front of the car, I took a picture of him, and uh, that's my goodbye message that I have a picture of. You know, thank God, because 
that was frost and you know it melted within you know 15 minutes but yeah um that i will just have that with me forever well it's beautiful uh, and what a gift uh, that that is i mean again uh, you have to look for the gifts right uh through the darkness but in this particular case i mean so many people uh, pass and uh, and i hear a lot of people say you know i didn't get to say goodbye i didn't get to say i love you um whatever and some people have had harsh words and in this particular case uh you know, you have you not only have the words, but you have a picture <laughs> of what it was. Yeah, it's be- beautiful. Now, was it the um, was it the same morning or was it the next morning that Jesse had said something to to his father, Neil? Uh, I thought that was again precognitive knowing was still on the subject. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So it was that morning. It was uh, December fourteenth. It was the morning that Neil was driving him to school. The morning of the shooting, and. Jesse uh, said uh, he was kind of grumbling because the night before they had gone to this place called Stu Leonard's and they were having a gingerbread making class. They had signed up for it and they couldn't get in because it was filled. So I guess Jesse was kind of grumbling about it in his car seat in the back. And Neil said, well, don't feel bad about not missing that because your mom and I are meeting today at two o'clock in your classroom and we're going to make gingerbread houses. And Jesse said, that's not going to happen, you know, kind of grumpy. And Neil said, yeah, it is. I mean, we talked about it. We bought the kit last week and, and, you know, it's all set up. We're going to meet in the classroom. And Jesse said kind of angrily, that's not going to happen, you know, very emphatically. And so Neil thought, hmm, you know, to himself, well, first he said, I'm not going to argue with him. You know, maybe he's got his dates wrong. Maybe he doesn't feel that well. But he said, I just didn't, I just didn't argue with him. We went to school. I walked him into the little foyer and I bent down, you know, like I always do to give him a kiss goodbye. And he, Jesse put his arms around him and gave him a kiss and whispered in his ear, dad, it's going to be okay. And I love you and mom. And then turned and walked away. And Neil said, he was like, hmm, okay. And so left, but you know, then it becomes uh, a very um, meaningful after the fact. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And uh, uh, again, I'm, you know, I, I just go back to when you're looking for the bits of light in, in uh, a very dark story, uh, this one has a lot of light and again gives me that comfort because it, it gives me this thought that, you know, does it do the same to you that, again, this is not an accident, this was almost something that his soul had planned, and here he was, and there's a purpose in all this. Uh, do you feel that way? Did you come away with that at all? Oh, I, I absolutely know that to be true. Um, there's a reason and a purpose for everything, and it serves us, and I know that that's true. Um, and I, I don't, I, you know, I, I say I used to believe and now I absolutely know that there's life after death. Um, I know that Jesse's with me. He sent me such incredible signs and there's this precognitive knowing without a doubt in this case that your spirit knows and, um, not consciously, as you said, but, but, uh, unconsciously. And for me, that gave me so much comfort All right. I wish I had a story to share with you. (laughs) That would be uplifting because I feel like this was a heavy subject matter that we talked about today. But sometimes uh, it just needs to be for us to walk away and really think about it and process it. And so until next week, um, I hope that you gain something from today's show. Know that I'm thinking about you. 
know that I appreciate you and you know how to contact me, right? Through all the, through Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and email. So thank you so much for being part of the Afterlife TV family and um, check out bestpsychicdirectory.com if you can. If you're looking for some kind of message that your loved one is okay, go see a medium. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye now. So that's another episode of Afterlife TV. Thank you for joining us. Please like us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or sign up for our newsletter at afterlifetv.com so you don't miss our next episode. See you next time.